Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Star Trek Discovery, Season 3, Episode 12, There is a Tide, is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. My name is Jessica Lees. I have very much enjoyed what feels to me like part two of a three-parter here, um, even though next week is the second part of a two-parter that started at the beginning of the season. I don't know. I'm all messed up with my parts, and here to help me out is the man that I call the Mr. Falcon to my John McClane. Yippee Kaye, it's Mike Bloom. Yeah, it's a family friendly podcast, Jess. So let's not hurl the invectives out there, even though Star Trek Discovery is one, two. Yeah, I mean, you called this last week. It ended up being instead of, you know, a direct part two to last episode, it's more of a part two of three. I would say it was a fun middle of the sandwich to be, but to be candid, I don't know what that sandwich is made out of if uh, Admiral Vance's terms are to be considered. So I'm going to eat <laughs> gingerly, but still talk about a lot of great stuff that happened in this episode. Yeah, Mike, what do you think? What do you make of this revelation of um, where the replicator food comes from? I mean, it makes sense when you stop to consider it, but did they borrow this from Dune? I feel like they borrowed this from Dune. (laughs) Well, so I'm so confused by this on so many levels because I'm wondering, like, is this specifically a 32nd century thing? Is this like a post-burn thing? Because I remember, I feel like back in the TOS days, they were like cards that synthesized proteins to make replicated food and i guess they move more so away from that in like the tng ds9 era to more technology a la uh like a transport like a matter energy converter and i guess from that perspective this could be the answer to what is the matter in that matter energy converter i i love it not just because i'm like a childish rube but also because this doubly answers the question Probably the bigger question even than like, where's the replicated food come from, which is like, where do they go to the bathroom and what happens with all of that? Apparently, it's like, (laughs) waste not, want not when you're in Starfleet. I mean, it's ecologically sound. This is like the this is like taking the composting toilet to the next level. I mean, this is just the circle of life, literally, Mm -hmm. scientifically speaking, right? Like, hey, you produce something, it gets broken down to the atomic level and then gets rebuilt and then eaten again. And I do wonder also maybe if you're living in that time period, it becomes normalized. You know, it's like if, if the whole adage about like if someone from the 1800s traveled now was like, my God, you have a computer and a phone in your pocket. Why would this work? And you're sort of like, yeah, it's how we live nowadays. I wonder if we travel forward like, wait a minute, you guys eat shit for you eat pieces of shit for breakfast. Literally, you're Shooter <laughs> McGavin, like that one episode of TNG. They'd be like, yeah, that's just how we've been living for thousands of years. Yeah, I mean, Shooter McGavin would be right at home. Between between like the gold jackets and the and the and the eating pieces of shit for breakfast, it's it's his it's his realm. I feel like he and Osira they would they would be simpatico. 
Yeah, so. I very much. Well, I'm trying to remember because he was in yesterday's Enterprise. I'm trying to remember. Oh, that's right. Yes. I'm trying to remember. I feel like the character he played was not exactly, you know, as much of a cad as someone who would join up with Osira, but he definitely was uh, had a bit of bravado to him. Maybe someone who would indeed uh, talk up the ideas of replicated food versus the real deal, especially in this case. Yeah, for sure. I, it's funny, though. I'm trying to think back. I don't think I've ever seen Christopher McDonald not playing a cad, so that kind of shocks me. That's that's very, very true. In fact, I could say uh, we can ensure that he will always play a cad in some way, shape, or form, much like our sponsor for this episode, Jesh. It's Geico Insurance. You make a very good point, Mike. Our podcast this week is brought to you by our friends at Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do, and I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Mike, I really feel like one of the things you want to insure against is people taking over your home and kicking you out. (laughs) Exactly. Listen, you can keep your shoes on. No need to get stabbed in the leg or anything. You can make sure that all of your property is insured. No computers need to take over at the last second to assist you. You can sleep free knowing that no Orions will burst in and take the whole deal. Orions also assisted by characters from 10 episodes ago. Yeah. Uh, Mike, you called it. And you were right. I was wrong. You said, you think we're ever going to see that guy again? And I'm like, well, definitely not in the next episode. Like Somewhere down the line, they're going to show him in the previous season. He's going to show up again. But there's going to be no reason for him to be there. And we're going we're gonna to really struggle to remember who he is. And you know what, Mike? You were right. He yep. was coming back. He had a reason. I mean, and, and, and that was the previous one, right? As soon as I said, I'm like, God, is that guy Zara back once yeah. again? And it's it's less so that... I don't mind seeing the character because I thought that Jake Weber did a good job of, again, we talked about this back in episode two, like introducing us to that universe, uh, putting ourselves in the eyes of the disco crew, seeing just how decrepit things were. But now I almost feel like we have advanced so much beyond (laughs) Zara that we're like, do we really need to see you back at this point? That being said, I do wonder if he was also brought back purely to like suffer a cruel as hell death next episode. Uh, And I'm assuming it's going to be at the hands of Tilly, right? Of course. I think this is how this is how Tilly becomes a woman and earns her much deserved lieutenant stripes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you killed someone, so finally you're getting that promotion. Yep. Oh look, you you stabbed a guy in the throat. Now you get your extra pip. Yeah, I mean it's it's gonna be it's essentially uh spoiler alert for the MCU end of Infinity Saga. If you have not checked those films out or checked out the great coverage of everything is super on poster recaps, please do not peruse. But this, to me, very much screams, you should have gone for the head with Thanos <laughs> and Thor, right? Where, like, Zara approaches Tilly and was like, oh, you shouldn't have left me for dead with his little, like, uh, you know, Chris Elliott in Scary Movie 2 ice hand. And now next episode, you know, Killy's going to kill him outright. She's going to turn into Killy. She's going to be like, well, you know what? I did what I I did what you wanted me to do back in, you know, an episode ago. Yeah, she's kind of like, maybe she's growing the shiny hair the way that Riker grew the beard. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, you really love Discovery once uh, the shiny hair got grown in. That's when you can really tell that something good's happening. But, you know, we've loved it all along. Uh, I will say, Mike, my my go-to reference on um, Zara's hand there, I I was thinking it was his lucky fin. So (laughs) Exactly. Finding Zara. uh, There's just, you know, scoping out that entire ice planet to pick him up. 
I, I really love this episode. Uh, this was a lot of fun between, you know, Michael Burnham going through her own version of Die Hard. But just for me, the most delicious part of this, much like a replicated apple, was we talked for so long and lamented as, as much as last week about how Osira was two-dimensional, mustache twirling. I don't know why she needs to be the big bad here. She seems, you know, not necessarily here with a lot of the depth that Discovery brings. And we got some depth here. And I am still trying to parse through how I feel about her role and performance in this episode. But it was so cool to see would have liked to see it personally sooner than the penultimate episode, but if if we, you know, I, if it's that or don't have our deepened villain of the season at all, I, I'd rather have a deepening happen later rather than never. Yeah, it's interesting, Mike, and I don't even know that I necessarily have learned more about Osira this episode so much as I've learned more about the Emerald Chain mm. and what she is bringing to the table because I kind of had the feeling that the Emerald Chain was, she was more like a Jeff Bezos figure who just had like a an enterprise where she exploited a lot of labor to make a lot of money and basically control all of the retail across the entire galaxy. That was how I saw her. She was like Space Bezos, but she really is more than that. She is like at the confluence of capitalism and politics and government. She has not just a bunch of mining colonies where she keeps a bunch of slaves to help her increase her profits. And she doesn't have just like a criminal enterprise and like an ironclad grip on the black market. She actually has done a lot of other things, which I really appreciated this. Like she has a lot going on. She has scientists working for her. Mm-hmm. She she is doing research and development. She has a lot of private sector. She's more like she's less like Space Bezos and she's more like Space Elon Musk. Oh, I like that. And I think she is as polarizing a figure as Space Elon Musk as well. And I'm I guess Aurelio's very happy that he did not have to get named by Osira, because then it would just be a complete mess, even by Star Trek standards. Yeah. It I mean, I might go so far, Jess, as to say Osira when viewed from a specific angle, could be an anti-hero, right? This idea of, like, I'm someone who is doing what is necessary through means that may not be regarded as morally sound. I mean, that's sort of the argument that she makes at the end with Vance, right? When he's basically uh, tries to, you know, when she essentially ends the negotiations of her saying, like you said, look at all this stuff I did. Yeah, I committed some wee atrocities, but I had to do so in order to keep, you know everything in balance. I mean, the by far my favorite part of this episode, as much fun again as the as the Michael Burnham stuff was, were these scenes between Admiral Fridge and Osira because again, like we had heard so much about uh the Emerald Chain and also we had heard only so much about the Federation in the 3200s as well. So it was really cool to sort of see both sides of it and you know, yes, it was a bit blame for her to underline it, right? She said that like we're a federation of mercantile exchanges and you're a chain of Starfleet vessels. <laughs> like it's really, you're not so, we're not so different you and I, but it's always nice to hear people from outside the federation kind of calling the federation out on their shit. And I feel like Osira did that a bit in this episode. She absolutely does. And I have appreciated, especially Disco's commitment to showing all of the ways in which the federation falls short because in, in even though, Every single Star Trek series to date has been like, 
has been about captains who find ways around the rules and who constantly flout the regulations of Starfleet and of the Federation to their own benefit and to the benefit of the world, they really do keep coming back to that idea that the Federation is perfect. And Disco and Picard have both come come at us and said, you know what? Even this utopia had its problems. Mm-hmm. And they've really hammered that even harder, even as they are slyly pushing a very anti-capitalist message here. Right. So Because they're saying, well, yeah, Osiris is doing very well. She probably is doing some good things, but you have to keep coming back to that slavery thing. It kind of cancels out most of the good. Yeah. So the interesting thing about all this, like you said, you know, she comes in with quite a resume, to say the least. And it seems like, though, what she brings to the table is this idea of making amends. Right. You spoke about the various roles that she plays. Apparently, she has a bit of a pull in government as well. She's pushing through an anti-slavery bill. Uh, according to, you know, the lie detector hollow, this is not a lie. And also, you know, I watched the, um, you know, the ready room and the sort of like behind the scenes stuff. It seems like the creators and directors and writer all essentially said that, yes, Osira was speaking the truth basically throughout these negotiations that like she does indeed intend to sort of put on the white hat if she joins up with the Federation and they sort of help each other out, which I find, again, very interesting considering that all we've seen from Osiris so far is just, like, brutalistic, Genghis Khan-esque lording over various properties. It's really interesting to see a turn that we we even get in the beginning of the episode, right? We're going to talk a lot about Aurelio and Kenneth Mitchell's role, but when Osiris tells him, like, I'm taking the gamble of my life, it's like, oh, this is a very different person. Than what we saw before. And granted, she's still maybe putting on a bit of a performance for him, considering how much she has clouded him in the past. But it was just a very different characterization of this person that we've seen through a few episodes so far. Yeah, it 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 was it was a total 180 from this person that we saw, like murder her own nephew because he looked at her wrong and like who maimed an Andorian for trying to start a labor union. Um And I really, I think it's interesting that she is coming now. Like, I feel like she could have done this all along. She, and I wonder if like every time she has come at the Federation, was she really trying to do this? What now? Why now? Why is she, is it just because of the spore drive or has she always kind of had it in her head that she's going to come and like get the Federation on board with her? And so we also, as I mentioned before, find out a bit more of the Federation in terms of the symbiotic relationship that Osira is proposing is, hey, you give us dilithium and we will give you some of like the best scientific prowess on the planet, which I know one of the big questions that I know was asked of us in the, in the poster recaps discord and by a few people online, too, was like, OK, they jump forward almost a thousand years. How the hell have they not been able to replicate the spore technology and create so many different spore drives? Stamets sort of explains it away in this episode that when the tardigrade DNA mixed with his own back in season one, that it sort of got like corrupted. So now he is very much a unique snowflake type of DNA structure from that perspective. But it's so interesting to me that A, apparently it is replicable in the 3100s, and B, that the Emerald Chain is actually more scientifically advanced than the Federation proper. Well. That also makes sense if you think about like hyper capitalist societies end up having the private sector like again Elon Musk she's space Elon Musk 
Mm. He he wants to go to space. He wants to build his own rockets and have this be his his thing instead of NASA having a monopoly on all of the rockets. So it it is a very timely analogy to make here. Uh, yeah. It doesn't surprise me in the least, but I am surprised that she has not made overtures like this already. Yeah, and I do wonder, honestly, if it was just like she had to find Federation HQ, because maybe it's just that like she hasn't been able to encounter other vessels until this point. Maybe Discovery was just too... Because it is interesting. You thought that she would just come into your Discovery yeah. to just like jump all around and do whatever she wants. But no, it was to set up this big ruse to pretend she was in Discovery, being under attack from her own ship, so that, as Fridge says, they let her through the front door, but all she wanted to do was talk. You know, I think we were expecting a big shoot out both on the ship and off the ship, in this episode, but to have her be like, no, 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 I'll bring down with my, you know, faceless goons, and then we're just gonna sit down and talk through a few scenes. Yeah, it was almost like, maybe... Maybe she did try to talk. Maybe she has tried to bring this up before and they're just like, oh no, it's Osira. And they just pull out their guns and pew, pew, pew. Um, like they don't even give her a chance to explain. So she's like, I gotta, I gotta get in the, I gotta get in some other way before they're going to listen to my pitch. Yeah, that could be it as well. But it also speaks to Osira's character as well, which I, I really loved how the negotiations entirely broke down. Fridge seemed surprisingly on board with the whole armistice. But as soon as he just suggests, like, oh, by the way, like, you're probably going to get arrested for all the crazy crap you did. She's like, no deal. That's it. I'm I'm done. And then again, that speaks towards the fact that, like, yes, yeah, she may be viewed as an antihero from some certain perspectives, but she is still kind of like a selfish villain. And that essentially the this this pact, this possible pact has now completely fallen apart because of her own idea of, like, I do not want to be punished for what I did before. You know, I, w- I want to be able to have my cake and eat it, too. Yeah, and I think I think that is also a metaphor in some ways. And I, I think especially if you think about um you think about so many across history, so many leaders that have done atrocious things that then um they say, All I want to do is negotiate peace and it's always like you know, immunity from you know, immunity from prosecution in exchange for bringing about balance to everything. And, you know, I think there's been a lot of cases and I, and in fact, I would not be surprised to see some kind of allusion to like the truth and reconciliation commission um, mm. and to uh, like the prosecution of former Nazis, for example, or in South Africa, the, the way that they tried to bring about justice for that. And it's, it was that was what I was thinking of when at the point where he said, "Well, you're probably going to have to punish some of the people that did bad things, and you did the worst of the bad things." Um, it is not surprising that Osiris is going to try to like if she's really trying to settle all of this, and she doesn't really have any ulterior motives. It's not surprising that she's going to try to slip that in somewhere. Well, and I think it's also a bit couched. Yeah, it's a fun little like uh, pork to the writer bill, if you will. But I think Mm -hmm. there's also an interesting element that was brought up in the ready room about how another sticking point for Osira apparently was Vance insisting that like, okay, but you can't be the envoy. It has to be someone who speaks autonomously for you. And there's this idea that Osira sort of believes she's the only person that can do this. And so there's a little bit of that sort Mm. of ego as well. 
apparently. Of That seems also very topical. Yeah, of like, oh, I'm the only, like, oh, I'd be happy to appoint someone if they could actually do it, but I don't think they can, so I'm, I have to be the one. You, you don't, you understand. I'm the only one who's talented enough to be able to handle this negotiation. Yeah, and, like, really, are you? Are you really? Is this, are we really this far down into the dystopian universe that there's only one person that knows how to negotiate on behalf of the Emerald Chain? Yeah. I feel like if you're going to rule competently, you need to have a lot of smart people around you. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, maybe if she was such a competent ruler, she would not be like begging for dilithium at this point. Speaking of leaders, though, Jess, again, another thing maybe that we learned about the Federation, because when Osira beams down, here comes Admiral Fridge and he's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. The president isn't in right now, so you're going to meet with me. I I didn't realize that there was a president of the Federation in the 3100s, because he has certainly not been around up to this point. Is there, though, Mike? Do we think I, there is one? I think there might not be one. Do you think this is like a, a shadow role where like they always have like a, a fall guy who's just a made-up person? I think that's exactly what it is, Mike. I think... I think they're trying to project the illusion that there's more people to fill the chairs than there are. And we've seen that before a bit. We have some, we have some holographic employees. Mm. And I think the president's probably, I think, I think it's someone they kind of, you know, they could kind of get away with a lot of stuff by saying, well, the president told me to do it. And <laughs> he's like, um, it's like the episode of Seinfeld where Elaine uh, blames everything on Susie. Mm, yeah. It's President Susie. I was going to say, or it could be uh, Benjamin Linus with Jacob, right? I'm like, yes. oh, no, I, my hands are tied. The president told me to do this, so I'm so sorry. Uh, president's orders. I'm just the mere admiral here carrying through. Yeah, or it could be one of these, um, one of these like Woodrow Wilson's final years as president situations where he's really not capable of running anything. So he just has people like running out and speaking on his behalf and kind of doing what they think he would do. Yeah, they exercised the 25th Amendment of the Starfleet Charter, and now they're just doing representing the president in all these affairs. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, let's speak about another part of Osira's, uh, you know, coterie here, because let's talk about our, our Kenneth Mitchell appearance here. You know, there was news that broke before this season aired that he would be coming back, not as a Klingon, but that he would be returning uh, for the first time since his, he announced his ALS diagnosis uh, back in March of 2020. And here he is as Aurelio, and he plays a really interesting role in not only like who he literally is, but also what he represents. So Jess, what did you think about this new guy? Well, it's his fourth role in disco, which I think is kind of amazing. Um, I think like not since Jeffrey Combs have we seen somebody play this many roles. And I, I think he does a really great job. And immediately when I saw him, I'm like, it's, hey, it's that guy. And I had to look it up. I've seen him on a bunch of different shows. I think the first place I saw him was Jericho. Mm. And the much loved and much missed Jericho, killed by the writer's strike, I, I would say. Despite and, all the peanuts or, that were sent in. Yeah. Buried under the, under hubris and peanuts, uh, was Jericho. Um, but he played a central role in that series. And then he was also on a series that I bring up way more times than I thought I would in my life because I don't know how many people watch Freeform as a matter of course, at least people in a, in the PSR orbit. But the series switched at birth, which I mm. watched from its inception to its conclusion. He played a central role, um, as a, one of the primary characters' love interests for an entire season. And 
did a great job with that as well. And he's just kind of, you feel like you know him immediately because he's been in so many things. Um, and I had forgotten about the ALS announcement. And so I, I was surprised and happy to see him back here. And I like that they kind of explained a way that, um, like they put him in a wheelchair contraption so that he could, he could be there and still like kind of have all of the, you know, have the range of emotion that he can, the best one he can possibly have. And I thought, I thought he was great. Um, I've always liked him as an actor. And I think honestly, like the negotiation table might have been your favorite scenes, but I really think the interplay between him and Stamets is my favorite, um, my favorite set of scenes from this episode because of the, I think the way that it illustrates how someone can be deluded into accepting an evil regime. Mm-hmm. And it's because he has this conversation where he says, well, look what Osira did for me. She did amazing things like I would be nothing without her. She really made it possible for me to become the great scientific mind that I am. So I can't believe that she is that awful. And Stamets is like, really? She has slaves. And Aurelia is like, I don't know anything about slaves. I mean, she's been so good to me. I don't understand yeah. how she's not that good to everybody. And I think that is that is a really 2021 relevant <laughs> sentiment. Like, I'm happy and content under this regime, so I don't understand what your problem is with it. So I completely agree. I mean, Star Trek as a franchise since its inception has always been about this idea of expanding your worldview, right? Uh, especially when you go, they visit, you know, neighboring planets that worship a computer or <laughs> one group of people has one left <laughs> of the side is white and the right of the side is black, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's, it's really about, yes, they might be sort of mired in their own issues and beliefs, but if you look beyond that, you zoom out the lens a bit, you begin to see much more of the macro instead of the micro. And yet again, here we get another instance of that. I was so happy for Kenneth Mitchell's inclusion for a number of reasons. First, because I mean, we both have uh, experience with, I think, people diagnosed with ALS, at least within the pop culture sphere, but yes. with, uh, you know, Jonathan Penner's wife, Stacey Title specifically. Mm -hmm. And you can see how, unfortunately, devastating uh, that disease is for, uh, for a person's physicality. And so, you know, when I had first heard about his, his diagnosis, I my heart broke because I can't imagine as an actor whose body is their job to have that suddenly, uh, you know, turn on you must just be absolutely devastating. But Kenneth Mitchell has been in such high spirits. I believe uh, th when the Star Trek cruise went for like a week before it shut down due to everything, he was on there and he was like getting passed around in the mosh pits. Like he's <laughs> been having a great time and he has been living it up. And my heart goes out to Alex Kurtzman and Michelle Paradise for like making sure the family takes care of him in a manner of speaking. Because like you said, he's been so good to them. He's filled all these roles and put on all that Klingon loaf in the first two seasons that to now bring him back and be like, we are going to accommodate you. Yes, it does go back to like sort of the old adage with the uh, the pike chair of like, well, this is the future. Shouldn't you think they should cure everything? I'm willing to suspend my disbelief on this one if it meant bringing him back in with his condition. And I thought he really did just like a very great job with what he was able to bring as well. And what he represents, to your point, is so key too, because we had yet to see someone who is part of the Emerald Chain, aside from, like, these faceless soldiers. 
Yeah, uh, or people that are working in the mines and getting cut in half. Yeah, exactly. Like every like all the other regulators were just sort of like big brutes who didn't necessarily proselytize about how much they felt Osira was protecting them. You know, like it was cool to see someone drink the Emerald Chain Kool-Aid, which I'm assuming is green. Of course it's green, Mike. Yeah, it's and it's a, it's a testament to how much we've gotten of this villain and how mu- how much this villain has motivations because I was even it even struck me I was watching we're finally getting into season 2 of the Mandalorian in this household and it just struck me I was reminded of like the Star Wars universe where you never get to hear about how the empire has helped anybody like this mm-hmm. the stormtroopers don't even have names for the most part and they're just like faceless people that can't shoot anything and you don't really know what their story is like. Why are they stormtroopers? Where did they come from? And here we get to see, well, it isn't bad for everybody. If it was bad for everybody, she would get overthrown. Yeah. And she's not just ruling by fear. Like there are some people that like her and that's also true of some other regimes I could name, but I'm not gonna. Um, pe- there are some people that really, really like the person in charge that anybody with Anybody that can zoom out and see the macro view could legitimately say is probably not the person who should be in charge. Yeah, I mean, he very much feels like he is in her debt. He has this idea of, like, she has given me everything. And it's not like, yeah, she does some bad things, but she has done so much for me. It seems like more so he has specifically been kept in the dark. And I do wonder sort of, like, what role he fills in her organization, in her circle. Like, is he, like, her lead scientist? You know, because it seems like she recruits him specifically for this very special mission to unlock the secret of the spore drive. And if he's been brought in at the age of 10, well, I was much very reminded of what we experienced a few episodes ago with like the mirror Giorgio, young mirror Michael Burnham Mm -hmm. dynamic of like when you essentially groom someone from a young age, how much do you sort of put the blinders on? Uh, to what's going on around them, or do you open their eyes to the atrocities and and make them a a certain way? And I think we now see both sides of it. We see how Michael being exposed to that hurt Mirror Giorgio in the end, but we also see how maybe not exposing Aurelio to a lot of this shady crap that Osiris is doing may hurt her in the end, because he did not have the greatest look on his face when she flat out killed Rin right in front of him. Yeah, he's like, wait a minute, I... I didn't know there was going to be murder. You didn't tell me that murder was happening here. You just said, come and work on this cool science project. And it makes me wonder, like, what does the Osiris science planet look like? Like, it's You go there and it's just like this utopia. It's like the Google campus. And everybody there, like, they have the snack bar and, you know, they have a a lab with everything they could possibly want. And you're like, wow, Osiris takes really good care of us. She must be taking care of everybody at least this great. And then you, like, Smash cut to the mining planet where everybody's got these horrible slave collars on and people are getting cut in half when they run through the fence. Yeah, it's like that, you know, that neighborhood that's like really nice and, you know, gussied up and, and, you know, very centralized. And it's like, okay, just go two blocks in one direction and you run into like the complete opposite. Yes. That's essentially what what the Emerald Chain feels like. It is very much focused in certain aspects and not so much in others. It's kind of like the Vassar campus of... um of the galaxy yeah but i i love what you said before in that you know much like the whole osira and vance meeting i do feel like to a certain extent the aurelio and stamets stuff was also a very much like you're we're not so different you and i right you know Mm -hmm. they bond over opera which finally stamets finds someone else to nerd (laughs) out about opera with 
Yeah, it's uh, too bad nobody else was around to roll their eyes at this. Like, I really needed Jet Reno in the room to be like, oh, geez, here we go again. Yeah, she needs to be, like, restrained next to him for whatever reason just to respond to it. Yeah. Interestingly enough, uh, so Stamets bonds with Aurelio saying they both have families. Just we got some hard confirmations from Stamets in this episode about him feeling like Adira is flat out his child. Yeah, I think... I don't know that they ever signed papers on this, and I don't even know that you can adopt someone who's um, simultaneously 16 years old and 300 years old. But yeah, I, I mean, Adira is now their their de facto child. Yeah, which, I don't know, I can see it. Like, it didn't come super suddenly because we had so many scenes of the two of them bonding maybe i would have liked to more see like the hugh side of things i feel like hugh should be conferred with about this <laughs> this whole like hey by the way we adopted a deer it's like if he came home like oh i got this puppy i knew you- don't be mad i adopted this trill human host like yeah, they're ours now though you know i think things are so loosey-goosey in the 3100s that nothing properly needs to be signed i don't think any like social visits need to be put in order by any sort of overseeing parent organizations. No, probably not. I, I don't even know. Um, like, do we even know what happened to Adira's parents? I yeah, I have no clue, considering that, uh, yeah, they're not in the picture, considering that Adira was on that Generation Class starship. Their parents assumingly weren't, so maybe they had gotten, I don't know, killed in some sort of post-burn massacre, and that's what caused them to get on the ship to get off. Yeah, I guess that, that makes as much sense as anything. But I also think that any... Any reservations that Hugh might have had about adopting Adira are going to evaporate when he finds out that Adira has essentially like gone into the the holographic mind prison inside the nebula and risked her risked their life to rescue him. Mm. He's going to come back and he's, he and he and Stamets are going to have this conversation where he's going to say, you know, I think we should adopt Adira and Stamets is like way ahead of you already <laughs> adopted him. Don't worry about it. Yeah. What did you think, by the way, of the fact that we spent this entire episode away from Sukal and that dilithium plant that it focused entirely on the mission to get Discovery back? That didn't shock me in the slightest. That's how Disco likes to tell their stories. They want to they wanna zoom in on something and tie up that loose end. If there's two loose ends, let's tie up one entirely and then come back to the other one instead of leaving them both dangling for an entire extra episode. I, that didn't bother me at all. Not only that, it was a great bookend to the first two episodes of the season, which remember, one was entirely about Michael and Book. Mm-hmm. The second one was about the rest of Discovery. Now we're sort of, one is focused entirely on the plight of Discovery. Not to say we're abandoning that next episode. It more so seems like we're we're on our way to that. But I agree also. I think it made for like a more flowing story too. You know, we spent a lot of, you know, only spending a few scenes off of Discovery, I think was an important choice just given how tense things were. Yeah, and this is kind of this is something I think The Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead when it's good tend to do. Like if there's a big ensemble cast and they're kind of scattered to the four winds, you don't have to visit every single person every single episode. Like wrap up something that somebody's dealing with or at least like get it to a good stopping point and then go wrap up something somebody else is dealing with and then mm-hmm. come back. I think that's totally fine and within within the bounds of the kind of story you're telling because this is a very episodic like Star Trek has typically been episodic in its nature, but this is the least episodic that it's ever been. 
All right, Jess, we were talking about Stamets. Uh, we're going to go talk about the person who ends up ejecting Stamets out of the ship at the end of this episode in the form of Michael Burnham. But let's eject ourselves out of the podcast briefly and take a quick break to hear from some more of our sponsors. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Mike, what happened to my shoes? Uh, I, I had I had shoes on a minute ago, and now I do not have shoes. It's okay. Listen, make your diehard reference, say a couple of lines, and then you'll be able to find some in the spore cage, and it'll, you don't have to be hobbling around on too much space glass for a while. Yeah, I was I was completely shocked. Like I, I came in when I knew it was going to be diehard on a ship. We could have made all the Starship mind jokes we want to make, yeah. but I was ready to come in here and be like, at least we didn't get a scene where Michael Burnham's shoes got removed and she had to walk around barefoot for half the episode. And, and then we did. Yeah. And then we did. I was like, wow, not only are you lampshading this, you like went to the store, bought three more lamps and then proceeded <laughs> to put lampshades on those just flat out saying this is a diehard episode of Star Trek Discovery. Yes. And then proceeded to break those lamps and make Michael Burnham walk across them barefoot. Yeah, luckily, you know, uh, she did not have to test too much. I think more so, she was less bothered by her feet and more so bothered by the <laughs> leg wound that she got right at the beginning. Yeah, there's that. She probably didn't feel a thing in her feet, um, either because the leg wound hurt or because she'd severed some nerves there. Yeah, so let's talk about this. So, uh, you know, what I thought initially was going to be a double header Michael and Book take down the ship really ends up being one just due to, you know, lack of equipment. But here Michael Burnham is, I mean, I, I, I think what Book said makes sense, though, from, even from a thematic perspective, like this is Michael Burnham's ship. She has to defend it. And so she <laughs> and she has a crayon map of all the things she's yeah. going to do to mess with people. I'm not afraid anymore, Zara. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, and I guess, I don't know, is, is, well, uh, that put, that puts book in the position of having to come on the ship later with a shovel. I was going to say, does he it, effectively yeah, does. does. Does that make book? Yeah. The old man, is he going to, well, he did reconnect with his brother. So that's sort of his, like him reconnecting with his daughter. So it all, it all maps <laughs> out perfectly. Uh, the, the Orion bandits as it were, but yeah, so this, this, you know, has Michael really in action mode after a lot of pontificating, which. I don't know, at a certain point, she thinks it's a suicide mission, right? She's flat out sending a message to her mom being like, uh, hey, yeah, I might be seeing dad really soon, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is true. But the funny thing is, like, there's not, it doesn't end up being Michael swoops in and saves the day. It really ends up being a team effort. She certainly plays her part, and she certainly has important roles in this, but 
I think she expected to land on the other side of this project and find everybody still like cowering in a corner. And no, it turns out that the bridge crew has taken over their room and is ready to go and like raise some hell elsewhere on the ship. Yeah, that surprised me as well. You know, again, using the Die Hard comparison, that would be like if Holly Gennaro McLean had like been able to take over, you know, her her little suite in Nakatomi Plaza being held as hostages and was able to like simultaneously sneak her way around the building as well. You don't really get used to that. But I also think maybe it's a it's a microcosm of the fact that Star Trek Discovery is so Michael Burnham centric that maybe this is like a, a showing from the from the production that. Yes, she often comes in and saves the day, but like we also want to mention this crew and how they're very capable of doing things on their own without her. Well, I and I think I think the invention of the term Mary Sue really stuck in the craw of Star Trek. Uh, mm. And they're really, really careful to not have one person always be the hero that fixes everything. I think after that, after the point at which somebody pointed that out to them, that it's something they like to do, it's like, well, you know what? Yeah, Michael Burnham saves the day a lot of times, but you know, Obo is probably extremely capable. Detmer's probably extremely capable. What about Bryce and Reese? I bet they can kick ass too. You can't make it this far in this universe without kicking some ass. So maybe they better not just hang out and wait to be rescued. They better have a role. Well, and I, what I love about it is even when Michael Burnham is mounting the rescue mission, like it is not perfect. No. Going back to our Home Alone analogy, like the, the traps do not go off perfectly. She tries to pull a Saeed Jarrah and like choke out a guy with her legs <laughs> and, gets, and gets stabbed. As a result, she tries to eject someone out of the airlock, Ripley style, and loses her shoes. Like, I do love this idea that Michael Burnham is kind of trying to be that badass that, like you said, everyone kind of paints her to be. But everything goes, like, at least a little wrong in every situation. Like, she almost gets caught in the Jeffreys tube because she's hanging on to that communicator that, of course, is bugged. Yeah, and I love that, too, because I love that... I I love that she needs the other people like she needs the rest of the crew in order to save the day she can't do it alone because there's always variables that are going to go wrong um i did really have to suspend some disbelief here mike mm. if there is a device that you can wear that blocks you from being read as a life sign why is it this is the first time we are hearing about this. This seems like something that everybody would have. This is like one of those, if the, why don't they just make the air, the entire airplane out of the black box material situations? Because I, I am surprised that this is a thing that exists and that even, you know, I, I'm sure it didn't exist 930 years ago, but mm. we have gone through an entire season in the 31st century, and it really feels to me like this is something somebody should have mentioned by now. The only thing I can think of is last uh, two episodes ago, we saw a book had sort of like jerry-rigged emerald chain technology to amplify that signal within the nebula. Maybe this is another like homebrew from book that he had like, you know, jiggered with some more emerald chain technology and was able to find something that obscures his signal. And that's what he was able to do. So maybe it wasn't even like, a, oh, yeah, you can buy this in any mercantile exchange. It was like, hey, I made this specifically, but I only had enough materials to make one of them. He mentions he got it on the black market. He got it off of somebody else that does these things. But it's it's kind of like, I feel like even in their limited capacity, Starfleet ought to know that such things are possible. Between that and Rin's ability to, like, scramble the number of life signs, like, I, 
like you, I feel like you can never look at any life signs at face value in the 3100s, right? Because there has to be a myriad of devices out there that will confuse it or have it or double it. You, you, yeah. One never really means one, I think, in this Star Trek universe. Yeah, in fact, uh, I think they've had things before where they've been able to scramble the signal to make it seem like they are a race other than what they are. Mm-hmm. That is a thing that we've seen happen before. But yeah, it's really convenient that if it's such a special thing that only a few people can do it, you have not only the guy that has the life sign blocker, but you have like the one guy who can go into the system and make it all screwy. Uh, it really kind of seems to me more like if you gave the if you gave the remotes to the system to Kevin McAllister, he'd be able to fix it. I do love though. Uh, Michael Burnham has never met Zara before this moment, but like she is just like completely giving him a wedgie every single scene they do. Right, like he's taunting <laughs> her by sending in the regulators. She throws one out of an airlock. You know, he keeps sending people after her. She keeps eluding him, and like basically, Osiris says, "Like, hey, uh, I'm gonna kill you if you don't get her." At a certain point, yeah, he's definitely the Hans Gruber of this episode. Um, like just getting thwarted every turn. And in fact, you even get that great scene where you see like the dead regulator floating by on the, yep. on the view screen. And like, the only thing that would make that better is if it had a, had a little sign around its neck that said like, now I have a phaser, I have a phaser rifle. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> exactly. It's like, uh, it's like, wait, do we celebrate Christmas? I don't know at this point in time. Probably some sort of like generic universe holiday, not like life day. But Mike, I was going to say they clearly celebrate life day. I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I wish everyone could, you know, maybe the Federation and the Emerald Chain could, like, join together around a table to, like, watch some weird VR porn or a <laughs> Jefferson Starship ad, and then they're going to be totally fine. Yeah, I, I think, well, I think they just need B. Arthur to serve some drinks, and everybody will just come together. Well, and- the, the unfortunate thing is that she was serving drinks at that one bar from episode two, but then Zara killed her. And so now all chances of peace are off the table. Yeah, I mean, you mess with B. Arthur, it's like Betty White's going to come after you. You do not want that. So let's talk about, so, you know, Michael tries to badass her way through things, and she does get caught at the end, but not before essentially, like, knocking Stamets out and forcing him off the ship, which was, oh boy, this was a little rough to watch in many regards, specifically, like, Stamets just being furious, basically going through the five stages of grief in the course of one scene, ending with him basically being like, we came, we all went, sacrificed our lives for you, and this is what you're doing to me? What the hell is wrong with you? Well, yeah, and it goes back to what we were talking about last week. Like, how can, how can Michael Burton possibly get on anybody's ass for wanting to go on a mission to fix something in their personal life because that is all Michael Burnham ever does. It's like the second somebody else wants to do it, she's going to call him out on it. I really felt Stamets here because every single week the crew of Disco is doing something to fix Michael Burnham's personal issues. And I get why she needs to get rid of him. And I get that it probably is serving the greater good but it was really, it really seems hypocritical. I was really mad at her too. I was so mad on Stamets' behalf because I need him to go um, collect his husband and his adopted child. Um, I need that to happen. So I, I, you know, I, I was, I was pretty upset at this. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. 
I think it, to your point, it would be tough if someone had approached Michael and said, like, it's too dangerous for you. Sit this one out. There's next to no chance, a chance of following that instruction. Right. And so, like you said, in this case, she's making a decision where the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few uh, mm-hmm. in that, you know, hey, I'm going to keep you within the confines and the safety of Federation headquarters so that people don't try to use you at this point. Though, it, you know, it seems like at this point, uh, I don't know, considering that they just are fine leaving Stamets behind and going off to the Dilithium planet, how much the whole spore drive thing was going to be sought after anyway, uh, you know, without negotiations going through. It really did seem like they were just after that Dilithium at the end of the day. So I can understand that. But yeah, I mean, it was it was a tough scene to watch because, you know, whether friend or foe, this is someone who Michael has had a relationship with. And to your point, she knows firsthand about like how your judgment can be clouded or emotionally fueled by helping someone you love. And so to be like, I can do it, but you certainly shouldn't do it. Bye bye. It was, it was, yeah, pretty heart wrenching. And I wonder if this means like, is Stamets not going to be involved in any of the action in the finale? Is he going to have to wait it out at Federation HQ? I think Stamets finds his way back on the ship. Clearly, you can find your way back on the ship. Maybe he's got another little wrist cuff that turns off his signal, and maybe we get, like, maybe next week is just a repeat of Stamets doing everything Burnham did. Um, <laughs> I will say, though, I think that uh, this is by far not the worst thing Michael Burnham has done to someone who then immediately forgives her. So I think I think we will see their relationship back to normal at some point. Um, or here's another question, Mike, and I don't know any spoilers. I don't know who's coming back and who's not, but could we get a character death? Could we mm. get could we get Stamets like sacrificing himself so that the spore drive is no longer a thing? Yeah, so my bold prediction for next week is that I think we will see a death. I do not think it's gonna be like one of our main five or six main cast members. So I think it's not gonna be Michael, Saru, Stamets, Colber, Tilly book but honestly i think anyone else is fair game because i'm thinking of like uh admiral cromwell's death Mm -hmm. last season right like i think disco really likes to like bring someone in in that finale and really send them off in a glorious fashion we have a pretty stuffed ensemble at this point i know that we have been sort of jettisoning characters over the course of this season but considering how much they want this season to be high stakes even though there is no universe ending MacGuffin to go after this time I gotta feel at least one, maybe a bridge crew member is gonna bite the dust, mm-hmm. or maybe, unfortunately, maybe someone like a Jet Reno or God help us, a Linus is is gonna end up dying. You here. shut your mouth. Linus is national treasure. We cannot lose Linus. Yeah. So I, I I think I think a character is going to die next episode, but I would not expect it to be Stamets because I think to your point, I could very much see like an early season four storyline where Stamets no longer has trust for Michael Burnham because he's like, you made the right decision, but you did not have my consent for it. And I'm mad at you about that. Yeah. I think, well, they get at least 20 minutes where he's mad at her and then it's like never mentioned again. Yeah, um, exactly. Because Star Trek. Um, all right. Well, if that's the case, Mike, who do you think's going to die? Give me your best guess. Ah, okay. So, uh, I, I don't know, I'm I'm thinking it's one of the bridge crew members because, so the other side of the equation, as you sort of mentioned, is that the bridge crew end up, you know, they are held up in the ready room. 
they end up taking control from the goons. And it looks like they're going to be mounting a front with the sphere data in the form of the little robots that have appeared in every single credit sequence and are now going to be finally prominent next episode. So we'll see that team up. But there's just so many of them that I could see one of them getting clipped along the way. I'm going to say, I'm going to give it to, uh, oh, it's interesting. Because I would say, like, Detmer got the personal story bump, Mm -hmm. right? To use, like, reality TV parlance because (laughs) she had this whole arc in this season. So I don't know if that discounts her or makes her the most eligible target. Because my other choice would probably be, like, one of Rice or or uh, Reese or Bryce who were, you know, tapping it out in this episode. We're like, I really could not give a lick about either one of them at this point. So if they wanted to like make a quote unquote meaningful death of a pretty weighty crew member, they could easily do that without having to like make huge waves within the the cast. Yeah. I, I feel like the target is pretty firmly on Detmer if we're going to lose somebody because we've had so many, We've had so many moments where they've given her a chance to shine and or they've told she's told us that she didn't get the chance to shine and she's mad about it. Mm-hmm. I feel like she gets blaze of glory next episode. That would not surprise me in the least. I think I think Admiral Fridge should be a little bit afraid. I think he's <laughs> going to be in trouble. Um Interesting. I wonder how how do you think he would die though if he's do you think he would travel outside Federation HQ or do you think there would be like an attack on it? I think Federation HQ gets invaded. I think somebody comes back in and is like, well, if you're not going to sign our treaty, Osiris could come in and be like, if you don't sign our treaty, we will just take you over by force. Because I think Mm -hmm. that's what everybody thought she was going to do anyway. And I wouldn't be surprised to see it like, oh, yeah, we figured you weren't going to agree to our terms, so we're just going to murder you anyway. Well, so maybe something that has me push against my own theory a little bit Michael does tell Book that she loves him Ooh, in this episode. Yeah, kiss of death. That might be the kiss of death. Yeah, I I feel like that that makes sense. I don't know, and I really don't want it to be because again, I've been I've been shipping Burn Book the entire time. I would be disappointed, but not surprised if Book ends up dying. Yeah, I mean, I love Book. I love their chemistry. I buy it harder than I've bought Michael Burnham with anybody, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, it's it's not looking good for him, especially yeah. like he's kind of been separated from everybody else and like set apart. We already lost Rin. Um, yeah, I, I I'm I'm with you on that, Mike. That seems highly likely. R I P R Y N. Yeah, they sort of just like yada yada through that at the end of the episode, right? Where he has like his big speech where he stands up to Osira and then she just vaporizes him. Well, that doesn't that tracks for Osira. It was almost like. It was almost like a you shot Marvin in the face moment. Yeah, but it's interesting, though, because we asked last week, like, oh, it's, I guess Ren isn't on the ship. I guess he's back in Federation HQ. Nope. No, he's, he was on the ship. I guess just hanging out, in, hanging out in his quarters until he heard there was a big brouhaha and then got caught by the Emerald Chain. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Well, I imagine he probably doesn't have a lot to do. You know, Book had the same complaint. If you're not in Starfleet, if you're not part of the crew, there's not a lot for you to do on that ship. Well, I just wonder, though, like, I am honestly surprised he was not killed immediately right yeah. wasn't the, the whole episode with quajon was that they wanted rin when they finally got him why not execute him right there right then thank you scott evil you know i, I got a phaser <laughs> i'll just go get it we can do it together 
Exactly. No, no, no. We have to do the entire episode, which is the version of sharks with freaking, uh, or no, evil sea bass, I think it was. Uh, No sharks with laser beams on their heads, which I immensely enjoyed. But yeah, it was a a little odd that they gave Rin like a temporary reprieve and they regretted it, right? Because Rin was the key part that helped them escape and not get immediately gunned down when they exited the ready room. Yeah, he's the literally the only person in the entire galaxy that can do that cool trick with the life signs. So they probably should have killed him when they had the chance. And I mean, I think now they are doubly, if not triply screwed with the fact that like they have the Federation has smart house on their side now. Like the they are taking over (laughs) the ship and the ship is literally attacking them at this point. Like the ship could lock the doors on the bridge and turn off life support and kill you. This is how bad it is for the Emerald Chain right now. Yeah, that's that's no good. Uh, I I do I do want to talk a little bit about the return of Zora. Um, mm-hmm. Not Zara, Zora. Um, yeah, that's that's also not fun. Just like the very much no. like the Game of Thrones, like uh, Yara Yara Yora, you know, of the uh, of Theon's sister from the books. Yeah, or Asha Asha Arya. Osha. The, yeah, yeah Asha Osha Arya. Um, it, it's it's rough. Or um, on Walking Dead, you had that a bit with um, you have a lot of people that have the same first name and they keep coming up. Um, but yeah, I I really want to talk about these cute little robots because I feel like this is a shout out to Red Dwarf, obviously. These look like scutters. I, in fact, I'm going to call them that. Um, they, I, I, I like that we, we haven't really seen these guys, have we, before, Mike? Uh, where else have we seen them? So we've saw, we saw in the season two finale that there were like repair droids that were sent out by the Federation during that big starfight battle. And we've seen them in like little clips here and there of them being repair bots. But again, these are pretty sketched out parts literally of the opening credits, but they really haven't done a lick in terms of the main plot. Now it's basically like, it's basically like if the spirit of your, of your, you know, AI home, like put itself in the Roombas essentially. Yeah. Uh, and now the Roombas are going to help you take over the house. What is the, what is the children's movie analogy I'm trying to come up with here, Mike, where you have a character that doesn't speak. It's almost silent Bob, but I feel like there's a better analogy where there's a character that never speaks and never speaks. And then at the last minute, no, I'm thinking of Anchorman. I'm thinking of the bears mm. at the end of Anchorman where the dog and the bears have that complicated conversation. Yes. And it saves the day. That's what this is. This is the dog coming through to speak to the bears. It's like, oh, yeah, we had this ability all along, but we never used it until we needed it. It's like, wait, I thought you were just the robot that mops up the crap and puts it back in the replicator. Or the or the ones that like Buster Keaton. My God, Zora, you ate an entire wheel of cheese. I'm even <laughs> mad. I'm just impressed. Uh, yeah, and I do love that, that call out in the beginning as well, right, of them being like, yeah, we can't erase. There's this measly speck of data we can't erase, but it's some old movie. Ah, don't worry about it. It's from a long time ago anyway, but like it's it's essentially means that you can't do a full factory reset on Discovery, that Zora is always going to be there. So Zora is kind of like the plans for the device in contact stuck into the Hitler movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh so now they're they're really going to regret it as you know, may- maybe uh, maybe you know I was mis misappropriating before. Maybe Zora is not in charge necessarily, so we can't nece- she can't necessarily shut everything down. Maybe she can only has enough memory and data to like fill in these few robots. But that's still a good amount. I mean, that's you know metal skin gears that that's a lot tougher than human skin. So it, you can send it forward and help it clear the way. Though I also do wonder if they're gonna like outfit it, you know, uh, cover it with all the weapons that they recently found to just have it be a killing machine. I don't know, Mike. 
I, this would almost be like sending C-3PO to do your dirty work. Like, okay, yeah, he's metal, but do you think he's really got the temperament to kick some major ass? It is true, actually. The sphere data is a bit 3POS, right? It knows so many languages. Like, yep. it is a communication droid, in a manner of speaking. It's essentially, you know what, maybe what they end up doing is they just, like, fashion a bomb and put it into one of the robots and just send it into a room. Yeah, and they like, got like, two oh, left. You. Yeah, thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you for your offer. We're going to love using you to be our suicide bomber. Yeah, uh, and they bring it in like, we have provided you a present of this droid, and you can make it serve drinks or something. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's no, no harm, no foul for Zora, right? Like you said, still two bots left. But yeah, it looks like things are looking bleaker and bleaker for the Emerald Chain. And it's interesting because we sort of go back to where we started or we ended last episode and that it seems like they're now going back to the Veruba Nebula now to find that dilithium planet. But like, I wonder, is the Sukal of it all going to influence the ship at all, right? Like, could the Emerald Chain also be thrown off if there's another big old wave that knocks out everything? Yeah, I, I think it's entirely possible that Sukal ends up. I don't. I still don't buy that he caused the burn. I think that's the stupidest thing ever. But he does have some powers. I think he could certainly do something to the bad guys once they get there. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, actually, um, before we finish things up, let me bring up sort of like looking ahead by bringing up a theory that the great Brendan Fitzpatrick brought up in our PSR Discord. He surmised that perhaps the cause of the burn slash like the real Sukal is not this Bill Irwin Kelpian that we're seeing, but the Kelpie monster that has been haunting Sukal. This idea that maybe Sukal has been so, like, influenced by the radiation or whatever powers he may have that he has turned a bit beastly, and as a result is a bit more feral of a creature than he has come across in Kelpian form last episode. And so the true Sukal, the true cause of the burn, was not this, you know, childlike Kelpian but really this sort of like monstrous radiation infused beast. Yeah, I could buy that. It's still, I still hate the burn being caused by one person. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like it's such a big thing that to have it be on one person's head is just it's like, oops, oops, my bad. I'm just a, you know, I'm just a giant child in the body of a, of a space seaweed radiation monster. And, you know, I, I, I pressed the wrong button on the wrong day and destroyed the entire universe. Sorry. Yeah. I, it's it's so dumb. I I want to feel like the burn maybe created that monster in some way. Or, like, the burn, the genesis of the burn is what killed everybody except Sukal. I could mm. buy that. Um, yeah, that could be interesting. That It's almost like we think it's the the rock being dropped in the water that creates the ripples. But maybe it's more so that, like, it was caught in the ripples as well. And the burn just happened to, like, tear everything asunder, and maybe the burn also helped give Sukal whatever ability that he has right now. Yeah, I I, I buy that a lot more than it just being Sukal that caused the burn, or Sukal's um, opposite number. And this is also, this reminds me a lot of, I don't know if you ever read any Dean Koontz, Mike. I have um, not. There's a novel called Watchers, and I read it a million times as a kid because I liked the idea. Like, there's, um, it's about a sentient golden retriever that's like a okay. product of a lab experiment, and it's a dog that can read and write, basically. Um, and they, but the lab had to create two creatures. So 
there's the sentient lab lab the sentient golden retriever who's like really adorable and smart and has a great personality and then there's like this other evil hybrid creature that kills livestock and is after the dog and I feel like, you know, it's always like there's always two. Like for every Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger, there's a Danny DeVito. So maybe the maybe the seaweed creature is Danny DeVito and Sukal is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, I mean, that's what we thought that was book situation in the beginning, right? Yeah. That it was like the forced dyad. Like, oh, he loves and rescues animals. So there must be some predators who kill the animals when it was really just like poachers who, like, you know, were looking to to save their planet. I mean, the real enemy was capitalism, Mike Bloom. Exactly. I can't believe that the finale is next week, Jess. I mean, you brought this up last week. I feel like we we got some more questions answered in this episode, which I was very happy about, particularly what the, like, onus of Osira and the Emerald Chain is. But I still have no clue how we're going to wrap all of this up. And assumingly provide like some sort of like big question mark that's going to bring us into season four proper. Yeah. You know, what's the runtime on next week? No idea. It, I I would not be surprised if it's an hour plus. I'm I'm thinking I think the longest episode was like fifty something minutes. I want to say the premiere was like fifty seven minutes or so. I would not be yeah I I would not be surprised at all if this thing goes over an hour. Considering that they have to go back to the nebula, they have to solve everything with Sukal. They have to you know get everything with Adira going on. I'm assuming we have to like sort of solve and uh you know really embrace or just discuss this idea of what caused the burn then you know take some time to settle into everything like well now that's over you know let's have these character scenes to reflect where we are in our lives right now and then assumingly something big is going to happen at the end of the season that's going to set up season four that all has to happen over the course of one installment here i can buy it mike especially since we're bringing everybody to one point like we're putting all the actors back on stage and we're putting them all together in this mix. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if the same event wraps up everything. I, I can see all of the everything converging on this one point. It's like the opposite of the burn. Like, you know, the burn it started here and went outward and destroyed all the dilithium. Now we're coming back to where the dilithium is. And everything is coming back inward to this one event. And the one event resolves everything. I think that's elegant storytelling if that's how they're going to do it. All right, so Jess, like I said before, each season of Star Trek Discovery has ended with, like, a big thing. You know, season one ended with them running into the Enterprise. Season two had them jumping into the future. Do you have any guesses to hazard as to how season three is going to end? Um, maybe we get a post credit sequence with Luke Skywalker? <laughs> oh, yeah, he shows up super de-aged, or maybe accelerated age, like now very old and decrepit. Yeah, I, I don't know what could possibly be the thing. I I could see um I could see Zora coming front and center and like becoming a character on the show. That's something I could see happening for sure. And that could be the thing, like, oh, by the way, I'm the ship, I've been watching you, I'm gonna help you out. Like she helps him out of the jam and then it's like she's part of the you know, she's part of the mix now. I could see something having to do with Zora and with all the specialness that is in this one ship. Um being front and center, I could see a new enemy coming in and maybe resolving what's going on here, but then also, um, then also creating new problems for everybody. Like mm -hmm. kind of like the kind of like the scene in um, Jurassic World where there's the there's the one creature and then the bigger creature that eats it. Yes, yes, exactly. I I think speaking of Zora, I think the my flag that I'm going to plant for next week is you know. Ever since we jumped in the future, there's been this this hanging sword of we've seen Calypso, the short trek. 
I think maybe something happens with Tukal where he causes like another big wave of you know disturbance to happen, and I think the crew is forced to abandon Discovery. And I think the end of this season is that Star Trek Discovery leaves its namesake ship behind. I could see that, Mike. For sure, we know that that's a thing that happens eventually. Yeah, um, and I think and I think it's big enough without necessarily becoming like a big new thing, like the Enterprise. But it very much sets up the question of like, okay, what do they do now? You know, and this could be this idea of like maybe now they're all going to get separated and you know scatter to the winds almost with the new Ooh, federation. We get a road determinus season. Love yeah, it. Exactly. Um, Each episode we get our our Detmer Owo episode as the season premiere. Yeah. Um. I that's that's a possibility. Um. I've got another one for you, Mike. Okay. Sukal has powers. What if Sukal? What if Sukal can control the fabric of time? What if the place they go when they abandon that ship is back to their own time? Interesting. I would not like it personally, no. but but I think it's definitely within the cards. Or maybe send them back to like the time of the temporal wars. Uh, since yeah. we talked about really exploring that time period of like, oh crap, what do we do now? We're in the middle of the war. Now they have to explain themselves to another iteration of the yeah. Federation, who they are and where they're from. Send them back to the exact moment they decided that was all illegal. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, 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 stop. I object. Yeah. And they're like, no, no, wait a second. We got to arrest these people. They showed up at the exact wrong place at the wrong time. We just decided you can't do that anymore. I don't know, but I'm I'm very excited. I mean, it's been you know very high octane for the past two episodes in particular, and I I, I can imagine it's going to be the same here for what's going to be the final episode of Star Trek Discovery for quite some time. I know they're filming right now, but I believe they plan to keep filming until the summer, so it might be a while before we see any more disco. Yeah, I think we'll be back here this time next year talking about disco i don't know if we'll be at the beginning or the end but i would guess that we will all be a year older before we reconvene to talk about this particular program yeah i mean i actually i want to play a game at the end of next week's episode as to like let's guess the premiere dates for a bunch of these star trek uh star trek shows so keep that in your mind jess because we're gonna talk about when we might be back next talking about star trek but we've got one more podcast to go around the sun before we uh we close things up for possibly a very very long time yeah, I think we're going to have to go into stasis, Mike. <laughs> Cryogenically freeze ourselves. Yeah, well, and then we'll wake up. You know, we'll either wake up as soon as the next season drops or three million years into the future, and we'll be doing another homage to Red Dwarf. Yeah, exactly. Well, now I was thinking there's another, there was a really bad TNG episode early on where they like woke, woke up three cryogenically frozen humans and like, there was a, a big businessman that's like, how much for this ship? How much can I buy it for? And, you know, there's I just remember that sticking out very much in my mind. So hopefully we will not be like that for many reasons. Yeah, let's let's hope not. Although I I think we all would like another chance to dunk on capitalism that way. So that would be OK if we just had like some some Gordon Gecko type trying to buy Star Trek and everybody's like, nope, nope, money's not a thing anymore. And just watching his heart break, I think I could rewind and fast forward that a lot. Maybe that's going to be the final part of season three. It's going to be like some guy shows up like, oh, no, you don't understand. Like, my name's Eugene Roddenberry, and I'm here <laughs> to buy your ship. Like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, we, we've talked about where are the Ferengis in all of this. I feel like I feel like Ferengi next episode could be a thing. Yeah, maybe that is a like Ferengi end up crashing through and they just buy everything. And that's going to be now them trying to figure out how to navigate that society in season four. 
Yep. I, I, I would enjoy more subtle digs at capitalism or not so subtle. <laughs> Ready for it. So speaking of capitalism, Mike, um, we here in post-show recaps live in a capitalist world and we appreciate the support of all of our listeners. And if you want to exchange some money for goods and services, uh, we would love to invite you to come and support us on patreon.com where your monthly pledge will help us to keep the lights on here and maybe open the door for us to recap more shows. But when you become a patron, you also get access to lots of special content, um, much of which I know Mike Bloom is involved in. Mm -hmm. Um, We got three extra podcasts for you per week, um, a weekly newsletter that I write, uh, and I'm sure somebody reads it, access to a community of like-minded TV fans and patron discord. And at certain levels, you might even get some special PSR swag like a Wombats hat. So to learn more about all of that, um, sign up now, visit postshowrecaps.com slash patron or patreon.com slash postshowrecaps. And I want to point out, we are at the very beginning of the year and the very beginning of the month. And the first of the month is always the best time to sign up so that you get the maximum benefit of the whole month before um, you have to re-up again. So I would do that this week so that you make sure that you get the full value of your pledge for the whole first month. So thanks again to everybody that's already doing that. And thanks again to everybody that's pondering it. And we hope that we will sway you over to our side. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's a new year. If if you've been looking to become one, it's a great time to do so. And one of the the many reasons why is, like Jess said, we have uh, three weekly patron-only podcasts. One of them is Post Show Recaps Theater, which is sort of changing ideas a little bit uh poster recaps theater for the month of january is doing an entire month-long theme it's now called january or should i say january ring because this month in the month of january we are double dating it up here on poster recaps it is josh wiggler it is emily fox it is myself and it is my lovely wife angela bloom the four of us are talking the Lord of the Rings franchise. We already have recorded a preview show where we talk about our respective fandoms and what we expect going in. And at the time we're recording this, we're a couple days out from talking about the Fellowship of the Ring. So if that's something you are interested in hearing about and especially engaging with as well, we already have so many fervent discussions going on about everyone's thoughts on the Lord of the Rings franchise be sure to become a, a patron. It's only available for patrons and it's going to be a lot of fun and a really great way to start out the year. Well, Mike, I always wanted to watch the Fellowship of the Ring, but I didn't want to get the phone call right after I finished watching it that tells me I'm going to die in a week. So yeah, I always I always kind of put that off. That's a hell of a seven days though. I, I, apparently. And you need that whole seven days to watch the entire franchise. Yeah. If you watch the extended edition, it's going to take you about that long. So feel free to, to make your most of that week. And there'll be a week in between. So it really is just like elongating the sentence. Yeah. It, it really like you can re-up that and put off your death for another week um, if you listen to the podcast. So that seems like it's really worth doing, Mike. Um, I'm excited about that. We also have uh, two other podcasts that we do Every week we have uh, one that's called Watching with Wiggler in which Josh Wiggler just sort of goes off about whatever he's watching. And we have the written equivalent equivalent of that that's basically me writing about whatever I'm watching. And that happens in the newsletter. Um, we also have Community Building, which um, allegedly was supposed to end at the end of the year. But I think they got something else going on um, for 2021. Yeah. And another another to a timeline might be changed several times. Also, we're here on post-show recaps. We have a lot of great stuff actually going on in January. Of course, uh, rewatches of 
Air Avatar The Last Airbender are still ongoing. Josh Wiggler and I just laid down a three and a half hour discussion of Through the Looking Glass, uh, one of the best lost episodes of all time, arguably one of the best television episodes of all time, or at least one of the biggest television twists is located in that. And Josh and I get into every single second of it. Uh, of course, Josh has also started a new venture in lieu of all the great Star Wars content coming. He's got a long time coming or long time going, which is uh, basically monthly Star Wars coverage talking about a movie every week. He's going to put out a podcast that explains a bit more of it, as well as some uh, Wonder Woman discussion in between discussion on the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the upcoming WandaVision. And Jess... I know that you and Rob are, what, a third of the way through this first season of The Stand here on uh, CBS All Access? Yep, and we re-up every week. Uh, we say it might be our last week, and then we watch it, and we cover it, and then they keep telling us to come back, so we keep coming back. Um, I am enjoying it more than I thought I would after the early reports of it said that it was a confusing mess, but we are having a blast covering it, and I think... If you are at all into Stephen King, um, you should enjoy what we've got, what we've got cooked up for you. And those episodes should be dropping on Sundays, uh, going forward. And we are going to have some special guests. I can't really tell you who it is yet, but people who are fans of Rob's other venture, Rob has a podcast are going to recognize some of these names. Ooh, okay. So a little bit of a crossover. They're jumping through, not necessarily a time portal here, but more of a dimensional portal. Yeah. Hopefully they're not breaking any chords though. Yeah, I wouldn't call it the most ambitious crossover event of all time, but you'll enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. But I think it's fine, as long as there are no sort of laws that get those people in trouble immediately when they arrive on a different podcast network. No, and I don't think their faces are going to do that weird thing that Giorgio's did. No, hopefully not. I've, otherwise, they might have to send them into an entire, you know, holoscape where they have to talk through if they're a changed person and then disappear. It's a whole to-do we don't want to do that. But yeah, again, so much going on at Post Show Recaps. So make sure you are subscribed. Post Show Recaps on any of your feed catchers of choice. We also have a Star Trek dedicated feed. And if you'll you'll be so kind, if you have some time this week, uh, you know, as, as you're making your New Year's resolutions or going through with them to rate and review us. I know we're right near the end of the season, but of course it is always appreciated uh, as and, you know, let us know your thoughts as well as as we're nearing this final episode. Who do you think might die? What's going to be our big, you know, finale surprise taking us into season four? There is a universe of possibilities, quite literally. Yeah, I and I can't wait to cover them all with you whenever that happens, Mike. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll be back together next week to do it one more time. I mean, we're we're, you know, we're bidding adieu to what was it? 23 straight weeks of Star Trek, which seems like a luxury in hindsight, because, again, we don't know when more is coming and I'll be sad to see it go, especially because I feel like it's been firing on all cylinders. But I'm excited to bid it adieu with a smile next week, Jess. Yeah, a, a, will... a shit-eating grin, if you will. <laughs> Mike. Um, yeah, I, I can't, I can't disagree with that, Mike. It's kind of, it's kind of like this was the one of the few good things in 2020 was the Star Trek, and now. The year is over and we are going to watch it go off into the horizon and eventually we'll see it again. Don't know when. Gonna miss it until then. It's kind of ironic that as soon as it was getting amazing, it's got to go away. Of course. You don't know what you got till it's gone. That's true. They um, paved Star Trek and put in time jump. They put in Federation headquarters. 
Yes. Put in a Federation headquarters. Uh, put in a Verubin Nebula parking lot. It's <laughs> <laughs> very spacious. Yeah, that's that's what I that's what I hear. Um, all right, Mike. So with all of that, uh, I think this is about where we leave it. So I want to thank you once again for joining me on this crazy journey. Um, fact with references, as always, to things I never thought I would talk about on a Star Trek podcast. That's our brand. Um, yeah, I want to thank once again the patrons of Post Show Recaps. We are really indebted to you. Um, and we want to thank all of our regular listeners as well, without whom this would not be possible. So live long and prosper, everybody. We'll see you next week for one final hurrah. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.